When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a discussion that elevates the people with the institutional knowledge that, you know, Bob has been here for 25 years. He's seen everything. He's seen just about every idea that you're going to bring to the table, but he can also tell you why it didn't work. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Welcome to the show today. I'm uh, delighted to introduce you to our guest. Her name is Elizabeth Wesley Casella, and she's the founder and CEO of L12 Services, which is a Washington DC firm focused on internal communications and organizational development. And by the way, I should say that uh, I don't often have guests. I mean, one of our most recent guests was coming to this interview from the uh, United Arab Emirates. So I don't think we go from that to any closer than where Elizabeth and I are. We're, we're a 40 minute drive apart from one another. So she works with businesses to improve workflow processes and culture by leveraging the institutional knowledge of existing team members. And uh, I, I love, you know, I don't always share people's like LinkedIn bio, but her little LinkedIn tag says preventing and reversing the great resignation. So obviously Elizabeth is all about human centered leadership. Elizabeth, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Thank you so much for having me. This is the highlight. I am so happy to be here. Well, I'm I'm glad it's the highlight. That's I, it makes me wonder about the rest of your week if it's the highlight, though. <laughs> I've been looking forward to this. I love your podcast. Oh, thank you so much. And uh, you know, you also have a couple of German shepherds, as I understand it. So if this is the highlight, they need to get on their job. That's, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's that's the highlight of anybody's life. Well. Elizabeth, thank you again for being here. And so if you love the show, you know where I'm going to go next. I've got to ask you if you could take us back uh, in your life to your earliest memory of yourself as a leader, you know, what would that be? Well, um, you know, I showed leadership qualities in a number of different areas, you know, swim team when I was a kid and cheerleading when I was in high school. But the, the times that I'm most proud of have been as an adult, um, and predominantly when I've been leading teams that have a, a message where it's social justice or um, emphasizing compassion-related work, um, it, it gives me great joy to be, my background is an advocate in weight stigma prevention and eating disorders, so it gives me great joy to be able to bring people together with one main focus that's really heart-centered and, um, you know, take them in places where they didn't know that they could go. Mm. Yeah, I, I my my business leadership background also started very strongly in the nonprofit and human service space. So I uh, have some some empathy and, and certainly some shared experiences there. And that that passion and ability to bring people together around a, a cause is a cool thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is probably the the most prestigious of one of those moments was when um, I put together a coalition of very diverse 
um, philosophies in the eating disorders and obesity prevention world. And we were able to help rewrite some of the language for let's move. Um, that to me was the most impactful because it reached the most number, you know, the largest number of people. Um, plus, you know, being able to interact the little that I did with the, the administration at that time was really just an honor. Uh, very cool. Uh, and I'm thank you for doing that work. And that said, I, I, I caught that. I have to go back to swim team here for a minute. <laughs> you know, when we're talking about human center, we all come from somewhere and we all have those, those early moments. So I'm, I'm curious. So you, did you say you were captain of your swim team or, or you I, were, I, I was, we were a small enough team that I don't know if we had captains. I would have been one if we would have named people, but, um, I, I was definitely the, the fastest female, but what gave me great joy from that was knowing that I had a skill set that I could then go into the lane with the little squirts or the, the newbies and teach them, you know, proper breathing techniques or how to have a stronger stroke. And so I kind of spent my time in between a couple different lanes, the fast lane and, and the learning lane. Very cool. Well, hey, maybe I'll have to get some lessons here at some point. So I'm, I am, and I don't know, our listeners don't know this. I'm training for my first triathlon, which is uh, go, going to happen in June, 2022, uh, here in Maryland, uh, in the Bay. And I have not swam in any kind of distance since I was 14, I think. And that was a many decades ago. I, I'm discovering that I don't actually know how to swim. I mean, I'm getting better now and, and learning, but I've had to relearn everything about uh, about freestyle and, and like, wow. And there's so much to learn. So it's just fascinating. And open water is a completely different animal. <sighs> well, I'll, I'll get through the pool first and then we'll do the open water. So I, I have a, tw a test swim coming in April. So I'll I'll get out some open water then. So oh, I'll be cheering you on. Well, thank you. And there, there's something you have in common with uh, Karen Hurt. So she uh, uh, she also was a swimmer as a, a youth and coached and taught swimming as well through her teenage and college years. So there you go. So small world. We all have these things in common. I love to to learn about those. All right. So an early leadership memory for you was sharing your skills and investing in other people, and that's certainly something that you're still doing today. In fact, you have a whole company, you have a whole business that's built on uh, that philosophy of helping people. So tell us about L12 and what it is that you do. Certainly. Um, you know, as you said, we're an internal communications and organizational development firm. But what makes us different is that we are, um, our highest value is to help businesses source the solutions to their problems from the institutional knowledge of their you know, high functioning teams. The reason that this became to be um, was that I early in my career worked in the, you know, association world as an executive assistant. And I frequently found myself in that gray space between leadership and the people who do the work. I, I could fluently speak leadership. I understood how to identify the, the, you know, the star and the goal that everybody was reaching for and why that was defined the way it was. But I also identified and spent a lot of time with the people who did the jobs and found that there was a huge communication breakdown. People doing the jobs wouldn't understand why leadership wanted stuff done a certain way and leadership would not understand why the teams couldn't perform in the way that they wanted. So I found myself translating English to English quite a bit um, 
And as kind of a liaison in that position, I realized that, you know, every job that I went to had the same problem. So maybe it made sense that I start trying to solve this problem from the inside out. We have seen that same tendency. I mean, really, it, it, it was one of the reasons that we did the research and wrote Courageous Cultures was that breakdown in, in seeing senior leaders and ARC in the specific instance we were talking about having a desire for innovation, problem solving, creative solutions, and people on the front lines feeling like they don't want to hear my ideas. <laughs> They're like, wait a minute, are you, you know, what's going on here? And it's just, that's just one example of so many of these kinds of communication breakdowns. So when you say sourcing the solutions internally, are, are you saying that the answers really are in the room if we ask the right questions, if we develop the right communication processes uh, and, and do that work, our teams yeah. have the answers we're looking for? Most of the time, yes. Um, oftentimes there will be a, a shift in, let's say, process. Um, because somebody read a great article in HBR or had a great idea or a buddy told them about some new software and they'll try and implement something without speaking to the people who actually get their hands dirty with the work. And we turn that on its head by saying, hey, people who are doing the work, what's the current state? What does that look like? Let's map it out. What would an ideal future state look like? Let's map that out. Now let's discuss the steps that we would use to get there. And it's not as simple as just saying, everybody who has an idea of what we should do next, say that now. It's a discussion that elevates the people with the institutional knowledge that, you know, Bob has been here for 25 years. He's seen everything. He's seen just about every idea that you're going to bring to the table, but he can also tell you why it didn't work. So let's talk to him while we're all ideating and figuring out these next steps so that he has input and the newer people on the team now know that he is a leader among their team and in their group, and he's probably a guy to go to to help you solve the problems. So it's it's a really big chunk of information gathering, but it also serves the purpose of helping the people define what success looks like, get really clear about it, and feel as though they're being heard. Now, after this piece, after this step, an important piece is to, to take the outcome of that and go back to leadership and say, this is what we've created. Is it in alignment with what you need in order to reach the larger goal? And sometimes it, it doesn't work because there are things that leadership knows or assumes that everybody else knows that didn't get translated or it's been miscommunicated. Yes. So it's an iterative process, but in, in all, it serves the purpose of bringing everybody together and closer to a, a greater understanding of the internal ecosystem, if, as it were. Yeah, they, you know, that, that notion of the iterative process, I think, is so important. And where I've seen that coming up lately for us and some of our work with clients is, uh, you know, and obviously we're all about human-centered leadership. So we're getting clients that care about leading in that way. And uh, and some of them are very focused on empowered leadership and empowering ownership in their teams. And as some of their leaders are coming along and, and learning how to do that, one of the frustrations that they run into is that, well, my team didn't get it right. <laughs> And, you know, that iterative process you're talking about is part of the, it's how it works is you didn't, as a leader, you're not always communicating your goals, objectives, criteria as clearly as you think you are. And just, and even if you have, it doesn't mean that the team the first time around is going to satisfy in, in all those areas. Like, 
So there's that, that back and forth, but everybody's learning and growing together as we do it and ultimately coming up with, as you said, the better solutions. So I'm curious as you, as you have these discussions, uh, one of the things that you talk about in the terms of the work you do is you, you help leaders clarify their processes, cut the chaos, um, address communication challenges and, and things like that. And so, so many of all of that, whether it's the chaos or the process problems or communication issues, uh, factor into the things that frustrate leaders and managers. So I'm curious from your perspective, with all the work you do, when, when you think of like the name of the show, Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, what does that look like when leaders are losing their soul in whatever metaphorical sense that means to you? Like, what's going on there? What, what are some of the what does that look like or what are some of the causes from your perspective? Well, the good news is very rarely do I find that it's actually about losing their soul. Their soul stays intact because they are to a certain degree mourning whatever it is that they're not being successful with and knowing that it's impacting the people. So good people keep being good people. That's super important. You get yep. credit for that. Yep. But um, it, I'm glad that you brought this up because we just got polling back last week um, from some, some in-depth work that we've done with past clients and people who aren't yet clients, um, talking about what organizations are suffering from right now. And it turns out that um, it's, it's overwhelm at an exponential scale, and it doesn't all have to do with the great resignation. And what, this is going to sound really strange, but about four months ago, we almost had a sweet spot of focused anxiety. We had people who were predominantly focused on the, the pandemic, and, and we've been carrying that with us for you know a multiple of years now. Um, and then surrounding that, we had you know politics and social justice and, and really important things. But for the most part, people were focused on the thing that was giving them um, so much anxiety, and it was the pandemic. Fast forward to now, the pandemic is starting to subside, and there's a huge wave of expectation coming at people. Do you go back to exactly the way that you were before, or do you find some new way of working, and how do you let the important pieces of knowledge come at you um, in a way where you're still kind of safeguarding your sanity. And people haven't figured that out yet. It's, it's a personal system as well as a societal system. So, you know, add on to it, we've got all of the, the activity over in Ukraine that is heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. We have issues with the economy. We have, you know, it just keep layering that and, and you're going to be talking about what each one of these, you know, distractors are for a really long time. So the, the individual who's doing the work or the leader may have figured out a way over the last two years to have a, a what they consider a successful life. They've, they've figured out work, they've figured out how to do it, um, you know, with the technology and the, the distance involved. They've figured out what to do with their kids and schooling and activities. And they now have a system that's going to be upended again. And then all of the things that we hear on the news. So, the difference between today and four months ago is that we had fewer things that were calling for our attention and now we have more 
and we're all rolling into another quarter. So it's right now work is overwhelming as well as life itself. And that is contributing to leaders not feeling good about what they're asking of their teams because they don't know what is overstepping and teams not feeling successful because they don't have a clear understanding of what does success look like right now. It doesn't right look now. like what it did yeah. four months ago, and it certainly doesn't look like what it did in 2019. Mm-hmm. That's so true. And, you know, I see that in my own, my own work. I mean, me personally, not even the work of our business, but just me as a human being, I have certainly experienced everything you just described that, you know, the incredible sense of overwhelm and exhaustion and, uh, you know, and all of the uncertainties of all the different things. And, you know, and, and I recognize in talking with different people, whatever, if you're listening and you're like, you know, well, I was never a big pandemic person to begin with. You know, there's people who are like, you know, thought all the approaches were silly. I'm not one of them, but that created stress for them too. Like everybody has had stress. Everybody has had something and it just continue i think of as you're talking about like four months ago we were like okay well how are we going to go how are we going to do this return to work in person or hybrid or not at all like as we're changing back and and then that got dumped on its head you know and you know almost twice now with different variants and so yeah everybody's scratching their head going okay what now and yeah and then you've got a a a very uh you know I, i have not in my lifetime had this feeling of, gosh, there is a scenario that leads to really bad global warfare here in decades. It's been a very long time. And some people I have never experienced that. So, I mean, holy cow. So what do we do with all of this as, as leaders? How do we, from your perspective, what are you seeing that's working? How are you coaching your clients? How, how are you having these conversations? Well, first, I I always recommend the the thing that's probably the most difficult for me and I work on every day, and that's patience. You know, you gotta gotta keep in mind that every single person is doing the absolute best that they can in any one of the facets of their life that is that big, beautiful diamond. Um, So, you know, patience and grace are really important. But beyond that, what organizations can be doing and have a responsibility to do is to keep in mind that you know top-down edicts with with no opportunity for communication um, don't work, and they just frustrate everyone. Very rarely, and it, it has nothing to do with the size of the organization. You can have a four-person organization or four thousand. If you have one person or one team in leadership who's predominantly tasked with strategy and thinking big things telling the people who do the work exactly how to do it without getting their input, um, that's a problem. So, you know, it's, it's much easier and it actually takes a shorter amount of time to um, invest in relationship development. And there are a wide number of ways that you can do that, but it's not only the one-on-one direct report and, and worker meeting. It's, it's the, um, it's the investment of, an organization to bring in a third party that's unbiased and, and talk to the team and help them create the solutions to bring to the table, or it's um, creating opportunities for not just team building, but community building. Like, like I said, there's a wide variety of ways that organizations can go about this, uh, but some of the fastest are 
to um, focus group your teams so that they have an opportunity to tell you what they think the challenges are and the solutions to those challenges um, so that they have a, a, an opportunity to possibly shine. Maybe the person who uh, doesn't speak up during the, the meeting um, but will speak up during a focus group is someone who you might want to groom for leadership or team leadership. Um, you know, talk about and invest in uh, personal and professional development. Those three things right there create not only uh, a good culture and a happy vibe, but uh, they create trust within the employees and between employees and leadership. Um, and it's really important. The organizations that we succeed see succeeding are those that are taking the time to uh, really roll up their sleeves and make sure that this type of work is going on, whether they have enough time on their hands to be doing that internally or they bring somebody external to do that for them. Um, they're making sure that the people who are the backbone of their operations have a voice and that that voice is listened to. Gosh, there's so much there that I want to unpack. Um, let's go back to the first thing that you said, Elizabeth, about uh, patience and grace and so on, because one of the things that I find, and I find this again, looking in the mirror, but also for so many other leaders that I talk to or that we work with, is it's really challenging sometimes to have that patience for your team and for your organization and for all the human, messy human beings that you're dealing with if you don't have that patience for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm curious if if in your own leadership or in the, the leaders that you work with, if you have any particular suggestions as, as listeners listening right now going, yeah, yeah, I hold myself to an impossible standard and I'm trying to be better with my team, but gosh, if, if I can't do that for myself, any suggestions there? You know, I think that when I've struggled with that and I have many times over, the most effective remedy was getting really clear about what my calendar looked like. Um, you know, at different times in, in my really young, early professional career, I thought the more jammed my calendar was, the more important I was. Um, and I tried to move away from that in any number of ways. Um, but most recently, over the, let's say, last year, I've really implemented some strong safeguards that I have in my existing calendar before any other um, items get added in there. I have time in the morning for exercise. I have a time for break in midday and I have different chunks um, throughout the week for certain activities that I know are repetitive, you know, and, and it doesn't have to be a list of everything I'm going to do. I try not to get that itemized because that's crazy making on the other side. <laughs> right, what I, right. What I try and do is, is give myself space for the things I don't know. I don't know. Things are going to pop up. When I do that, I come at each one of the appointments that I have or the problems that I'm trying to solve from a much calmer place. Yeah. And, and there's a confidence there um, that I'm bringing to the table that I know I can accomplish or I can, you know, if I can't accomplish it, I can at least make a major dent in it. And then when I turn around and I'm, I'm dealing with my teams or I'm dealing with other clients' teams, that patience, the residue of having taken that time to just be gentle with myself really shines. I, I'm no longer in that gear of in a super hurry. I'm not trying to make people speak faster than 
they're able to or think of things. And if I'm working too fast, I'm not creating an environment where someone feels comfortable around me. And that is my job. My job is to create an environment that helps people bring the best of themselves forward and builds confidence. So that confidence then translates to an ability to talk to their leadership, which is usually a a difficult thing for people to do when they're not in management. Once that confidence is created, then, you know, miracles can happen. Absolutely. Well, the key that as you're, as you're walking through that process and describing what you do there, you said something that I'm, Wanted to, I'm trying to go back and get your exact words. It's crazy making. Said, oh, well, <laughs> there's definitely crazy making because you, you know. But what it was was when you said you don't know what you don't know, and the thing that I think we forget is that we do know that we don't know. If that makes sense, like we know there are going to be the things we don't know that we can't predict that are going to, and are we leaving margin for those? Are we intentionally creating space for the unknown and that buffer? And I I know that, yeah, when I get everything you just described, when I'm too hurried, too tense, too everything, it's when I haven't created enough of that or I've allowed through whatever circumstances myself to get in that state. And so the getting you know, I'm going back to swimming because I've been learning that, you know, with with, we, we were talking earlier of Okay, when I start, when my heart starts racing and I start gasping for breath, and things like, okay, let me get back to the margin, the relaxed, the the pacing. And so, I, you know, I think the point that you made is so important: is that everybody's going to have a kind of a different way to do that. You have to find your way, but how do you do it for yourself to create that margin, to create that space, and avoid the crazy making for yourself and for others? Well, and, and that's just the thing. If I've built in the buffer for the, you know, unanticipated within my organization or, or my calendar, then I also in turn want the people who work for me to do the same. So I'm not using my unrealistic expectations of myself and turning and imposing those on my team too. my team. You know, they've got kids, dogs, parents, the whole nine yards. They've got their whole lives. And I shouldn't be expecting everybody to perform without flaw, without unintended things happening. Um, And and I don't think that your listeners necessarily work from that MO, but it is is easy to fall into. It's kind of a a natural reaction when stress happens to want to just blow the doors off something or work at your highest gear possible that's only sustainable for so long. It's not, it's not realistic and it's not good for you or the ecosystem around you. If, if you're always bringing that energy and, and missing that compassion. And for so many leaders who are more actively oriented, my response to a problem to stress to any of that is to take action. We can get ourselves into quite the state of, (laughs) I got to take action. I got to take action. It's like, no, sometimes the the action to take is no action or create create that white space. All right. Well, you said something else as you were going through there, which was about so starting with patience for you know for our teams, for ourselves, and then getting their input. And and you've hit that point a number of different ways. And I obviously huge believer in that. That's courageous cultures is all about building cultures where that's possible and, and the norm and 
the the condition of it's what we do so as as you were talking one of the challenges that that i hear sometimes where leaders will will say uh is as we have these discussions they'll say well gosh everyone knows i'm i have an open door they know that i'm open to their ideas and and that i want to hear and that's different than intentionally going out as you described and soliciting and getting the input you need and i wonder if you could unpack for us a little bit about the difference between those two and why what you're doing the intentional going out and talking to people whether yourself or with the third the third party is so vital sure um you know the the best solutions come not with one brain but with multiple brains so brainstorming talking to your teams in a group that that is probably the most effective and and yes, it requires the most work because you're organizing a lot of people together. You have to figure out what you're gonna be asking ahead of time. Um, so I would say that that would be, if there's a hierarchy, that that would be the top option. Um, but if you're a leader that's you know in your office and trying to, to think about what, what it looks like or why it's valuable to be proactive in, in asking those questions and, and soliciting that information. Um, it, it really goes back to relationship development. When someone who is um, comfortable with you and has spent a number of hours with you on a regular basis, talking to you, getting to know you, and you taking a, 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 you know, making a concerted effort to learn about them, those people will come to you when they see a problem down the road or when they have a, a, an innovative idea on how to, to solve something. Um, they're, they're going to become your best helpers. Um, and for you, what, what you're doing is you're putting yourself in a position to learn way more about your organization than you would otherwise because casual conversation conveys much, much more than a, a standing meeting or um, a direct report quarterly meeting. You're, you're, really, um, you're really being wise if you are uh, investing the time to get to know your people and get to know your team. Yes, so they can help you guide what policy and process looks like, but also um, from a strategic point of view. It's invaluable information to know that you can turn to someone no matter what level they work within your organization and have a real conversation about how things are going and what, what they could look like in the future. So what I'm hearing you saying through the theme through all of that is that part of the reason that you go out and intentionally ask and intentionally have these conversations is to build the relationship. The, and the relationship does so many things for you, as you were saying. So it creates the psychological safety in the future that they can come through your open door and raise their hand or say, hey, I saw this and here's what's going on. Uh, it also opens you up to a lot of information that you would not have known otherwise. But in all of those instances, the relationship is key. And as a leader, how are you taking the initiative to build that relationship as opposed to passively sitting back and waiting for somebody to walk through your open door. 100%. I mean, if, if we're going to talk about it in, in uh, social justice language and principles, it's privilege and you've got to get rid of your privilege of being the person in the office that people can come to and instead go out and interact with the people who help you. You know, the other thing that occurs to me with that is that, 
people often have insights and ideas, but they don't know that they have those thoughts. They don't know that they have the insight or idea or a solution to a felt need that you have a problem that you're trying to solve until you ask, you know, and it's, I, I remember one time, uh, and I think I, I, I trying to remember the details. Yeah, we were, we had this, uh, uh, you know, healthcare costs were soaring and I was in an executive role. We had this massive issue with, uh, the insurance that we were providing through the organization and, you know, CFO, CEO, myself got into a room, bang out on the, the numbers, everything else came up with what we thought was a good plan. And then, you know, the, the good part was I recognized that we had three fairly kind of numeric analytic people in that room and not what you're talking about. And it was one of those situations where I happened to, talk to one person and say, you know, here's what we're thinking about. And I'm noodling this over and here's a, I think this is a good solution. And she, she immediately, immediately said, so here's the impact. Here's what that's going to do. Here's a way to look at it. She was a hundred percent spot on, needed her input so badly. She didn't know she had it to share. Yeah. It was there, but she had to be asked the right question. And it was such a wake up call for me as a leader earlier in my career that if I'm not asking, who knows what I'm not learning because they don't even, they may not, it's not a matter of they're scared sometimes, or I don't want to raise my hand. It's, do they even know what the question is that they have an incredible insight about? Absolutely. I, I have an example from, from just a few weeks ago, I was speaking to a, a fella um, who uh, is a professional in ESOPs, employee stock option programs. And um, when he was going through his first company's ESOP, he and the leadership thought, this is cake. Everybody's going to be so super excited about this. And the one thing that he learned by walking the floor of this rather large, you know, transportation organization was um, that not everybody was on board. They didn't understand it. They didn't know how it would impact. And like what he found was A, he hadn't communicated well enough, but B, he hadn't taken into account any other, you know, metric other than money is good. And so right. it's, it's you, you can't replicate the, the piece of, of communication that, um, you know, is, is, uh, very rarely valued, and that happens to be, you know, the the hallway hallway chit chat. You you have to proactively go out and be part of it. And I know that a lot of leaders think, well, I don't have the time for that. Look at all the things that I have on my desk, or you know, that we're working on. But in reality, when you do those steps, when you undertake relationship development and problem solving in real time, what you end up getting is fewer things on your desk because you're talking about process and you're talking about policy and programs and little ways to tweak them come from those conversations. So you're actually making improvements to your systems. So spending that time in conversation and relationship development and, and mining information is a time saver in the long run. So it's that's when you're talking about clarifying your processes and cutting the chaos, that's where you're getting that benefit is if I'm understanding is that you're because you're having the conversations on the front end, you're avoiding 
things that don't work, the the lack of buy-in, the, the somebody could have solved that for you if you just would have asked. Yes. Uh, or or helped you understand that maybe the principle is good, but that implementation isn't going to work in this situation. And here's what some other things we could try. That one is 80% of the problem. That that the implementation is a problem, and here's why. That's that's the most frequent issue when we come in to help organizations un unchaos <laughs> when we help them clarify, you know, what's going on and where they want to go. Um, it's been an edict from the top. This is what we're doing. This is where we're going. And this is how we're going to do it. And nobody feels comfortable chiming in and saying, actually, that's not the best way to go about that. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those good intentions run amok. Of course, the, you know, the made sense. And this, I suggested it for a great reason. And here's what it'll do for us. But the lack of understanding of of what that actually looks like. And so we, we call that practice the principle, which is if you have identified a good principle underneath uh, a best practice or a initiative or something, let's talk about that. Let's get clear about that and then get all that input into how could this work? Why would or would it not? Or what could, you know, all of those elements of input are gonna help you to be so much more effective and, and avoid all of that chaos that you're talking about. What gets in the way from a communication standpoint? I'm picturing a listener listening to the show right now saying, okay, Elizabeth, I hear you. I want to go. I need to do that. What are some of the pitfalls or mistakes or challenges that you see that leaders have as they're trying to have these conversations um, that that we, we can be on the lookout for? Let's not make this mistake when we're, we're going out and let's try to do it in this way to make it as effective as we can. That's a good question. I think that the place where sensitivity needs to happen is where there's a team of people and some of them might have an underlying feeling that there are favorites. So making sure that you don't show favoritism, making sure that any personal biases that you might be bringing to the table are recognized and really um, you know, sidestepped or overcome. Um, showing people uh, an equal amount, an equitable, I should say, amount of time and gratitude and recognition is really important. And the, the most significant and, and successful piece of this or piece that can assure success is the listening skills. And listening skills are deficient in a lot of us. It has nothing to do with education or, you know, level of executive and leadership experience. It's human nature to want to talk over somebody. It's human nature to get really excited. And, you know, everybody is, is um, speaking in fragments of sentences. Uh, but for a person to feel truly heard, investing maybe a little bit of time learning how to be a great active listener especially when you don't have a really close relationship with the person you're speaking with, mm. probably would serve leadership and managers best. All right. All right. Well, let's, I want to unpack that and, and go one step further on that for just a moment. But before we do, uh, let's tell everybody where they can connect with you because, uh, you know, this is work you do. So you help organizations do this kind of thing. And you are that third party that can come and help uh, do a lot of these things if an organization is, is wanting to, to do that and they're not feeling confident or, or competent to do it themselves. So where do we, where do we connect with you? 
Sure. You know, my playground is LinkedIn. I, I prefer to be very, there. very active. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, just my name, Elizabeth Wesley Casella, it's all spelled weird. So you're going to have to see the show notes. Um, uh, but my website, uh, or our website, I should say is, um, l12services.com. Um, and those are the two places you can catch me if you don't feel like emailing me direct. All right. So I encourage you to connect with Elizabeth on LinkedIn. She's got a lot of great posts. I was uh, reading one last week about uh, somebody that you had met and um, who had a great impact on you and then sharing and then the, the comments and all the sharing and some of the leadership values and listening was at the top of your list, if I'm recalling uh, the, the hashtags. So let's talk about that a little bit. I want to get really practical. You said, hey, one of the best things you can do leadership skill to help all this happen. Um, we have to start the conversation. So I'm curious if you have any favorite or recommended as leaders are listening, going, yeah, I want to, I, I want to have more of these kinds of conversations, any favorite conversation starters. And then on the flip side, you, you talked about active listening and I don't want to assume that we are all on the same page about what that means. If you could Give us two or three practical ways of improving our listening skills and being better active listeners. For the type of work that we do, um, we ease into our listening with our clients and contracts. And what I mean by that is um, we kind of take a, a three-step uh, approach. We start out by having a, a blind survey that uh, we bring to every member of the team from the you know founder and leader to the person who shuts the lights off at the end of the night. And that survey really talks about the mechanics of the jobs being done. It asks questions about, you know, do you understand the platforms and the softwares that you use? Do you feel like your hours are aligned with what's expected of you? Those types of questions, really non-emotional high level. And then we follow that up with a one-on-one -on -one interview that talks about a lot of the, the culture type questions, um, mixes in some stay interview questions there to talk about, you like it here? What do you like about this place? What if you got a, an offer out of the blue would make you want to stay here? You know, from there all the way to, do you understand the way that decisions are made at the leadership level? So we're really talking about the things that do have emotion getting to know the individual. And then um, the third step is uh, after we've kind of put together a baseline report and looked at some of the areas that could use improvement and some of the areas that are strengths, we create a, a priority list with the executive team. And then we go out and we act on that. And so that next piece is um, focus grouping each of the teams, seeing what the current state looks like, talk about what a future state could look like, as I said, those steps in between, but giving everybody an opportunity within the pod that they work with to have some sort of commentary about what is happening now, what they would like to see it look like, um, whether or not they think what they're doing has an impact on the overall goals of the organization. Um, so that's how we start those conversations. Um, and, and I just suggest taking things step by step in a, a really easy way to make it easy on those who don't have the power to feel empowered. And the more of that you can do, uh, and the more consistently you can do it, uh, so many benefits. The A, so as you said, the relationships 
grow are there. B, you have just multiplied the problem solving and, and brain power in your organization because now you're, the entire organization has got everyone's uh, emotions, brain, everything is, is processing and working in alignment with one another. It's like, you know, I, I think of these like science fiction movies where there's all these sort of things. And then you, you find the aliens where everybody really thinks and uh, works in a, not robotic, but in a very aligned way. And it's like, oh my goodness, what is possible when we're connected that way? Borg in the good way? I don't know if I go Borg. Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem with these analogies is, you know, you gotta, you gotta be careful with that. No, I'm thinking, uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking of a reference that absolutely no one, but perhaps one person who might listen to this show will get. So I'm not even going to go there. All right. Okay. Uh, that's all right. That's all right. But you know what I'm saying? It's that, that it, the parallel processing, the connection and the energy and all of the things that come together when we make yeah. those connections, when we're taking leadership and actively engaging and listening to every member of the organization and for senior leaders listening, when you are helping your leaders, your managers do the same thing, it's not just you, it's gotta be you know, owned and, and done throughout the organization. And are you setting that expectation? Are you holding people accountable for it? Are you listening to what makes it challenging for them and helping equip them with those same skills? Yes, and that brings to mind something that we also found out through this survey. People are being promoted from positions into leadership and what they're missing out on is they're being told, okay, you're part of leadership. Here, read these leadership books, get this leadership training, you know, know all the leadership things. And they're skipping over management training. Yeah. And that is a right. critical piece that does not, leadership training and management training are not the same thing. So if you really want your, your you know, new leaders to, to knock it out of the park, make sure that you have one step and then the other step. And the first step would be management training. See, I knew I liked you. There was a reason. <laughs> it's it's so funny, Elizabeth. I mean, I'm teasing, but the uh, I did. I have to like salute and go preach it, sister, because <laughs> I I tell you, that was all for, I don't know, gosh, the first 15 years, I feel like of of my career. If I had to reduce anything I said to one mantra, it would be that it was like, come on, we got to have both sets of skills here. Yeah. And if we don't, something's going by the wayside because we're, we're, you know, we're creating a mess and you can't inspire your way out of a mess. And, and, you, and if, you know, if, if you don't have the credibility of the basics in place, then you got a disaster on your hands. And Right. And it's, it's especially critical for your operations professionals because they're the ones that are tasked to create that, you know, gate of responsibility to gate of responsibility shorthand. So okay. everybody knows how to work in a fluid, streamlined way to get from A to Z. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, I, and what, what occurs to me is that where I think and, and knowing that you have a cause oriented background and that uh, and I kind of grew up in business the same way is there's probably some of that that I'm sensitive to because and, and I see this in in for profit startups and fast growing businesses and and the same is that there's that passion around whatever it is that we're doing that sometimes runs ahead of the, <laughs> the management skills and the clarity and and some of those needs. And so I hope that you're listening to Elizabeth that we're going to pair 
it's a both and here. <laughs> All right. Elizabeth, it has been a joy talking with you. I'm, uh, we've got so many takeaways in terms of the conversations we're having, the intentional relationship building, the getting out and talking with people, getting the help we need from, from folks like yourself to, to do that. Uh, the patience for ourselves, how we're managing ourselves in order to, to bring our best leadership self to, to the conversations and, and the work that we're doing. Um, before we wrap up, any last thoughts you have as you look at the, the, you survey the landscape that you so eloquently stated earlier, we've got a lot of things going on for every human being right now. And as we are leading into the future, any, any final suggestions for leaders as they are looking at, at this and at their people and wanting to lead well and doing it all? And it's a lot. Well, you know, to put this on a hopeful note, I would love to come back in one year and have this conversation with you where we discuss how the idea of gratitude training within an organization has taken off. Mm. I would love to see an emphasis put on cultures that really elevate gratitude in the workplace and gratitude for each other. So give us a, a 50,000 foot view of gratitude training. So if I'm, cause I, I, again, I don't I, want to take, assume I know what you're talking about. What, what I would suggest is people get the super, super short book called gratitude and pasta by Chris Shembra. Um, and that'll tell them everything that they know need to know. I, I am not a certified or an uncertified gratitude trainer, but I know where to go to get it. And, um, he's just the bee's knees. And you're if a that believer. doesn't make me sound like I'm 75 years old, nothing will. <laughs> uh, you're not 75 years old, and, and I have obscure science fiction references. This is human-centered leadership. All of us are human. We have our things. So we talk bees, knees. We talk all the other things. All right. Gratitude training. So that's your final thought is the intentional practice of gratitude and what it can do for you as a leader, for your organization, your teams how it can spike innovation, develop better processes, and help your teams um, not only retain, but attract high caliber talent. Yes. Fantastic. So it is rare I have a guest who has a book to recommend that's not their own book. So there <laughs> you have it. We got to make sure. Gratitude and Pasta by, give us the author one more time. Chris Shembra. There you have it. All right, Elizabeth, thanks again for being a guest on Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Uh, listeners, thanks again to you for making us one of the top 13 leadership podcasts in the world. Keep sharing, keep leading. Uh, use the tools that Elizabeth has shared with you today and be the leader you want your boss to be. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.